Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. I am your host, Carmine of Red Team Review, and I'm joined here once again by Preston of House Summerchild himself, Preston Jacobs. Preston. Totally awesome. <laughs> I, I thought your words were none so awesome. You're right. It is none so awesome, but yeah. <laughs> none so awesome, bro, I think are the, are the, are the official words of, of House Summerchild. No, yeah. you'll have to you'll have to uh, gather your thoughts on this for like another t-shirt pretty soon yeah yeah no there's been some demand there's been a lot of demand for the uh for the chad summerchild or house summerchild t-shirt it's one of the two mm, so i've, I've got i've got to get on it soon before before you know there's there's a rebellion <laughs> uh guys welcome back to the game of thrones podcast and on today's episode we'll be talking about chapters three and four of uh fire and blood as always, we're available on SoundCloud and iTunes, so consider checking us out on those platforms. And if you do check us out on iTunes, then please leave us a review. It would help out a lot. Also, uh, leave your comments down below, and I might get to them and uh, discuss them on the next episode. Okay, so Preston, um, before we start, there were a couple of people calling you out, saying that you were wrong. R.R. Uh, Rius was saying, you guys made a huge mistake. Look to page 27 in the World of Ice and Fire. Targaryens were involved in the Essos pre-conquest stuff. Aegon flew east before the conquest, met with Pentos leaders, and fought against Volantis. Uh, another guy saying Christopher Philipson. They're just. He goes. The Targaryens looking uh, looking to the east is not a write-off. In the world of Ice and Fire, we learn that Aegon fought in Essos prior to the conquest. The implication yeah. is that the Targaryens were involved in the Century of Blood in Essos. And it was Aegon who changed their perspective to focus on Westeros. Yeah, that's what we said the whole time. The hundred years, they did nothing until Aegon. They sat on their butts for a hundred years until Aegon. Aegon looked east and he looked west at the same time. But there was none of this, like, Targaryens looking east thing before Aegon. Like, everything changed with him. Like, this is the whole mystery, though. Like, what the hell were all the other Targaryens doing for a hundred years? Um you know, during that period of time, looking east, nothing, you know, like, you know, everybody's like, oh, the Targaryens. And then they mentioned Aegon. No, before Aegon, Aegon changed everything. Aegon was the, was the anomaly. He went, you know, he was looking east and west. He was, you know, the schemer and the, and the conqueror, but everybody else, what were they doing? They were doing, they were sitting around doing nothing. This one guy goes, Aegon did treat with the other great lords, or didn't treat with the other great lords because he required submission. He only treated with Argilac the arrogant because Argilac reached out to him before the conquest even began. Well, no, it specifically says that Aegon, like, visited all these other people. Um, he visited the Western, Westerlands, he visited... Yeah, Lannisport, you know, an old yeah, town, he that he, was the he, vis he visited, and I think he was successful, I, you know, I would say he was very successful with Old Town, as Old Town was right ready to to coronate him and and the high towers didn't send their armies um uh when the gardeners went to war and we're gonna you know even in this chapter we're gonna get into um so a, a few more things on on old town mm -hmm. um and how and how schemy they are you know the the most interesting house that that, that george r martin has never really written about <laughs> Or at least not in the main series. The, the High Towers, right? <laughs> the High Towers, right? I always you know? thought, I always feel like though, even though they owe their allegiance to the uh, the Gardeners and now the Tyrells, I always felt like the High Towers kind of are their own thing. Absolutely, in the, yeah. In the There's same something thing, so strange, yeah. They, I feel like their allegiance is first and foremost to Old Town rather than like to you know the Warden of the South themselves. So yeah, I what's mean, funny? What's funny about the High Towers is that is that somehow they get away with never sending armies into war, save in the Dance of the Dragons. So, you know, they don't fight in the Conquest, and then we don't hear anything about them doing anything in any of the Blackfyre Rebellions. We don't know which side they were on. Um, they're not in Robert's Rebellion. Uh, you know, we, we nothing. Like, we, we, I mean, except in the Dance. Well, they're not we in Robert's Rebellion any. yet, because didn't the world of Ice and Fire actually... the One one of the main things we never hear about originally in Robert's Rebellion was the Greyjoys doing nothing. The Ironborn almost 
like non-existent in Robert's Rebellion as far as we knew until the World of Ice and Fire came out and we find out that the Greyjoys actually did something towards the very end of Robert's Rebellion but because it was towards the very end everybody just kind of brushed him off and didn't care so we might actually have them doing something when George gets to Robert's Rebellion in volume two right I mean one of those retcon things Mm -hmm. kind of like how you know for some reason you know, in the first three books, no one uses the word nuncle, and then everyone starts using the word nuncle, and you're like, oh, right, no, yeah, nuncle is totally a word, you know, <laughs> or, or words are wind, like, all of a sudden, everybody's saying words are wind by the third book, and but no one says it in the in the first two, so, you know, you, you get these things that get added on, um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole bunch of examples of this, Stannis's victory at Fair Isle, all this, like, all of a sudden, it's mentioned constantly as one of his big triumphs but it's not mentioned in the in the in the first three books maybe it just never came up in conversation preston jesus come on yeah yeah i know (laughs) i know but it's one of these things like what were the high towers doing well maybe george hasn't decided you know Mm -hmm. or or maybe they were doing nothing um there's a lot of these questions like what were the valarians doing like during during the uh during the Blackfire Rebellion, I'm really interested to know what who which side the Valarians were on, but we we have no we have no notion of what they were doing during the Blackfire Rebellion. Th- things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so let's get into this. And real quick, Chapter Three: Reign of the Dragon. Not much to it beyond the fact that Aegon was essentially the best king that ever was or will be. I I, I call him the checklist king because he did everything so well that everyone after him. We'll kind of have to like live up to this list of awesome things he did and if you don't then you're either very weak or just awful but what i did like about this chapter from what gildane tells us is that aegon actually gave a damn about the realm and ruled it almost perfectly he was certainly clever he certainly did a lot of things like he knew he knew when to get involved he knew how to have control over people he knew when to give people freedom um he was versatile you know, he was hands on, mm-hmm. but hands off at the same time. I mean, he 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 definitely knew how to strike that balance of being a a clever leader. Right. Yeah. So it's a uh, you know it's a it's some interesting stuff though though I do get that the impression that at least in these in these early chapters that George was you know he had the material for Aegon's conquest and he had the material for Sons Sons of the Dragon and he needed to fill it in and so he filled in very briefly like you know the reign of Aegon in in only 20 pages you know when when you know Magor gets twice as much you know so it's it's kind of it's kind of funny that that this is going by so fast like Aegon's reign does not get as much attention you know that much attention even though you know it's a pretty long period of time yeah Aegon 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 the first I I feel like a, a majority of his own story is really also stretched out to his his sister wives. I mean, they mm. were also majority in uh, in ru- ruling the realm. Didn't it say that he split a lot of his time between like King's Landing and Dragonstone? Absolutely. Um, and and that's the thing is is it's not even that much about Aegon. Like the first like our first our first stuff is a lot. There's a lot about the war in in Dorne, and now we're talking about Aegon, and a lot of it is about Visenya and and rainies you know mm-hmm. and so um yeah george george really went fast on 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 this on what on what aegon was doing like you know and uh we don't get that much you know unlike unlike later on where he you know man we know a lot about daemon targaryen the rogue prince but like but uh you know hardly anything on on aegon the conqueror like how he was uh, on a personal level and what he did day to day you know it's, it goes through very quick and and but. the one thing I, i've also noticed by uh by chapter three is that besides him being like the perfect guy or whatever which i, I think i forgot which channel it was i think it was game of thrones academy calling aegon the conqueror fake news because obviously those who win the war, they get to change history and write it as they please. Yes, and there's there's a lot of um, the big parallel here is uh, uh, Augustus Caesar, and if when you read when you read histories of um, of of the Caesars, like no one ever says anything bad about uh, Augustus, which is ridiculous because Augustus was not like they act like he was this perfect ruler who was super popular. And that's just not true. There was like eight different rebellions that, that, 
and coups that tried to that t- tried to take out Augustus Caesar. Like, you know, there was plenty of like assassinations. He killed just as many people by year as say Caligula, mm. like one of the, you know, or Nero who who, you know, are considered super evil, but you know, he was doing just the same things, but he gets remembered as being this great guy while Caligula and Nero get remembered as being, you know, horrible. Um, you know, or, you know, Tiberius gets a pretty bad rap. Claudius is, he, historians are kind of mixed about him, but the, uh, you know, they were all the same. They were all tyrants. And yet like all of a sudden it's like good tyrant versus a bad tyrant, you know, like, whatever whatever so yes the big thing is um this history is written by a maester and you'll we'll we'll see um there's definitely some suspicious things uh written down here and i feel like what makes Aegon's whole story way more interesting more so than it already is is his sister wives and more specifically visenya who's kind of like a combo of, like, Cersei and Brienne. She has Brienne's fighting prowess and Cersei's shrewd, like, nyeh type of attitude, especially when Maegor is born. Yes, there's definitely, there's definitely, um, there's definitely a bit of that in Visenya, um, you know, being, being this, like, dark, strict, uh, queen, um, but also a badass fighter. <laughs> and I was actually time. reading over, um, while I was reading over this, I'm like, this could be the, this could be the prequel, because... The way I could see it is every chapter of this book could essentially be its own season. You know, the first season, I would say mm-hmm. maybe eight or ten episodes cover the conquest and the whole Dornish conflict. You know, uh, first two chapters would be a season. Chapter three and definitely chapter four. That could be like almost two seasons in and of itself. There's a lot in here for for a prequel. Yet we're going to focus on the long night. Yeah. Did you notice yeah. that? Like there's a and, lot and- in here that they could take. Oh, absolutely, and I, I think I'm not sure what they were, what they were thinking in the end. Maybe it had to do with CGI budgets, and maybe it had to do with not touching stuff that that George was writing because they were burned last mm. time, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, and there, therefore, like we're going to choose a completely different period where where he's not even touching it, so we can kind of play around and do whatever we want. I mean, they could all they could, they could have always done like an animated series, you know, like. Um... Uh, a big thing with Netflix nowadays is uh, taking Castlevania and making that into an animated thing. Like, they could definitely do it. I remember eons ago, uh, we had uh, on Spike TV, back when that was a thing, we had Afro Samurai and how there's an interview that came out in Afro Samurai. Each episode of that was like a million dollars. Like, I can definitely see HBO. Oh, my God. Yeah, that cheap as shit, right? I can definitely see HBO, like, shelling out like a million bucks for like a 30-minute animated series instead of having to pay Maisie Williams five million per episode. Like, that's, come on. I'm okay with that. I mean, who the fuck is not okay she, with that? She was getting less, if you remember. She was not one of the big five. Originally, the big five were getting a million. Originally, getting... but if you animated, I mean, you know, yeah. like, you're you're fine there. But uh, what did you want to say about um, Aegon's reign? Like, you said there were inconsistencies and suspicious stuff. Well, well, okay, so you, you start out in Aegon's reign, and like I say, there there is a lot of uh, propaganda here. So mm-hmm. here it says, oh, he encouraged... Um, lords to send their boys to serve as pages and their daughters to serve as handmaidens oh sounds great because he wanted to he wanted people from all over the realm yeah that's warding that's hostage taking like you know they 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 put it in here like it's some like it's some like uh like you know great thing but it's like he was taking hostages just like everybody else refuse the king with like three dragons so right and i mean it's very clear that this is that this was a you know, point of, of control over people that, that he took his, 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 the people he defeated and he took their children. Uh, just like, you know, Theon, just like Danny did, just like John did at the wall. Um, you take, you take your wards, you know, and, and Aegon did it, but he doesn't call it. They don't call him wards. They call him cupbearers and mm-hmm. handmaidens. Um, really ridiculous. Then we have the, the brokering of, of, of marriages, which, um, yeah, I mean, that's something Rainey's did like before she died in the Dornish conflict to try to piece the realm together. She would like take uh like what what was it? Like it was a a a house someone from like House Aaron and House Stark and like, you know, bridge them together yeah. a little. Yeah, and the one the one that sticks out. I mean, we hear about a whole bunch of these different um weddings getting getting um 
put together. But the one the ones that stick out is obviously the Ronald Aaron and um, the daughter of Torrin Stark, which um, it's interesting because, you know, I have a theory that that Sweet Robin has uh, powers and, you know, the thought is that if Sweet Robin has powers, he probably got it from his mother, Lysa. But if if this Stark line eventually makes it down to Sweet Robin, which is a possibility, Ronald, Ronald, um, after Ronald, his cousin takes over. But generally speaking, when when somebody else takes over, they try to they try to marry a daughter in order to maintain kind of continuity. So it might be that that Ronald's cousin's daughter or Ronald's cousin's son married Ronald's daughter or something like that. And that somehow a Stark gene got down to um, Sweet Robin, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or it just comes through Lysa. But but, but it, it, that's the one, that, that marriage is, the, is one that sticks out. The other is, of course, you've got um, uh, a bunch of, like all of these marriages with, with the even star of Tarth. Like why is Tarth so important? Tarth comes up a whole bunch um in this chapter and you're like why why we why do we care so much about tarth we haven't really i mean yes brienne is from tarth but we always get the sense that tarth really isn't that unimportant of an island certainly not important enough for the brave companions to know about it and yet here like tarth is a major power player so you know i don't know um uh what's going on there oh and we of course hear about blackwoods and brackwoods Blackwood, Brackens and Blackwoods intermarrying, mm-hmm. which very recently, a whole bunch of them. So I think I think we, you know, we kind of knew that their their lines were intermarried from the Jamie chapters of A Dance with Dragons. But this really shows that, look, if Bloodraven is special, these marriages happened really recently. If Bloodraven is special, Bittersteel was probably special too. He probably had special abilities. So, um, you know, there's that that kind of may, maybe uh, is more evidence for that. Um, there's a lot of these like Aegon traveling around the, the, the kingdom and he, he visits the randomest places. Like he goes to Barriton twice, but only Winterfell once, like yeah. right before he dies. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why Barriton? Like what was going on in Barriton? Um, and they say it's to forestall, re- forestall rebellion. So I guess maybe, maybe the Barrettons... Actually, that kind of makes sense. Um, if Barrowton was against uh, Torrin Stark's decision, it would explain why um, Lady um, Dustin kind of also said a kind of negative thing about Torrin Stark when she was down in the crypts. With Theon? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that might make sense that, that Barrowton was, was a little rebellious. Um, but he does go to he does go to the great the the Iron Isles and he goes to Great Wick, which is kind of weird because they were not part of the rebellion. Um, the rebellion probably happened on Harlaw or Old Wick. Old Wick is where the religious people would be, and Harlaw would be where um, uh, the, the 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 descendants from Heron the Black were. Um, but you know that that's all really interesting. And then. I thought it was really interesting that he traveled everywhere with six maesters. Um, and it's funny, the number six, and I wonder if it's because there's one for each kingdom, which they would each, like, obviously, if you have with you, like, you know, a northern maester, a, a vale maester, a, a, a reach maester, a westerman race maester, you know, a stormlands maester, then you, when you go to a new area, like, this maester is going to know... Um, like who you're dealing with, which that's pretty clever if that's what's going on. But it's, um, it's funny though, with six maesters though, that's a lot of control from old town. Um, like if Aegon has a decision and all six of his maesters say, no, that's a really bad idea. He's probably not going to do it. Like it's one thing if it's one thing if you have one advisor and one advisor's like oh no don't you know don't do something and you're like oh okay well that's only one person that's one person's opinion it's another one it's like six people so six people's opinions is is very you know overwhelming so you can try to see like Old Town has a lot of control over Aegon um, which makes me think that they were you know they were connected with him before the conquest quite a bit and that there was. There's more. There's more to the uh, 
the old town um, scheming. Do you think it's because he had con- that, that the old town had control over him, or could it just be like he understood the the importance of the fates' uh, uh, role in Westeros, and he had to uh, abide to it and hold his tongue on it? Well, he actually ends up doing things to to give more power to the faith. He actually like later on. There's something about the septons are allowed to be tried by the faith rather than by the local lords. Like he he ends up giving more power to Old Town. Um, he he makes the faith ex- exempt from taxation, um, all sorts of things. So he's given a he's thrown a lot of bones to Old Town as if Old Town has control over him. And this is the big thing. I mean, what Lady Dustin said to to Theon about the Maesters, you know, is that is that they end up being the ones that control the Lord um, uh, rather than the other mm-hmm. way around. Like, you know, like some people think, you know, the maesters are supposed to be in service of the Lord, but it ends up being the other way around that the old, the, the maester is the one with the, the true power, according to Lady Dustin, because, you know, he's the advisor. He's the one that can read and write. He's he's doing all the letters. He's the teacher. He you know he's um, the 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 doctor. He's the teacher of the mm-hmm. children. He's the doctor. He's the one uh, bearing the children for the. I mean, he's the you know. All Have of these we things. seen in the story so far, or any point in, in in the history of the of Westeros, a maester whose uh, whose influence uh, overextended into what the Lord does? Well, I mean, in my opinion, Lewin. You think so with Lewin? Oh yeah. I think very much. Um, I think Lewin got John sent to the wall. Um, like if you go back and read that first, those early chapters of the Game of Thrones, um, Benjen is very much against John going to the mm-hmm. wall. But by the time Lewin talks to Ned, he makes it sound like it's Benjen is totally cool with it, and that's a switch. Like he, like Lewin is, is misleading Ned. Um, like, you know, Ned, like Benjen has this huge screaming argument with John about how like, don't go to the wall, like grow up a bit. You don't know what you're giving up. And then the next scene you have Lewin saying, oh, you know, you know, John wants to go to the wall and Benjen's, you know, cool with it. And all of a sudden, like Ned's like, oh, uh, I guess. You know, complete misrepresentation of, of what went on. But doesn't on. John also want to go like to the wall himself, though? I mean, I can't really, I can't really say I agree with that one. Uh, saying Lewin kind of, you know, led Ned into it. It, it really was John well, mostly. We know. Well, we know that. Well, we don't have all of the information. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. But I'll say that John, before he talked to Benjamin, talked to Lewin mm. first. That is like when he when he talks to Benjamin, he mentions Lewin. Um, and saying, oh, you know, Lewin says that because because Benjamin's like, dude, you're 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 a kid. Like, what do you what do you know about like joining right. the watch? And then and then he says, well, Lewin says bastards grow up faster. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. you've been talking to Lewin. <laughs> like what? What's all this about? Like, you know, so like, yeah, there's some there's some. Uh, yeah, I definitely think Lewin overstepped. And, and I'm also um, wrong. There 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 is one Grandmaster Picel. He was able to convince. Uh, the Mad King to open the gates to Tywin. I, I I forgot about that one, that part right there. So oh, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. yeah, yeah. I I can see where Lady Dustin is coming from, but at the same time, I always feel like the lords are usually in control of themselves to listen to maesters. Maesters are usually the ones that we've seen so far. They're usually they're usually a little like you know a little. I don't want to say too weak-willed, but they always seem to know their place in the story mm. so far. So would it would be interesting to see a, a, a maester pull a Peter Baelish and try to, uh, you know, control things like that. I mean, yeah, I will admit that if the Maesters do have control, uh, the control that, that Lady Dustin claims or the control that, that Archmaester Marwyn claims, they're much more subtle than, say, Varys and Littlefinger, mm-hmm. who are just, like, oozing with, like, being obvious, <laughs> like... Like I don't, I actually don't understand how like Littlefinger or Varys gets get away with like what they get away with because they're so obviously like schemers. So you're just like, who who in their right mind would ever trust those two? Like why aren't they executed immediately? Because they're just horrible. Like with you know three sentences into talking to them, you're just like, oh god, like 
just oh just, no he's up to just something send, uh, send this guy yeah he's up to oh, something no. oh my god he's 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 either stealing from me or fucking my daughter <laughs> or like you know he's he's doing one of these things like oh god like but so you know if maesters are doing something they're better schemers than than Varys and Littlefinger in that you don't even think it you don't even see it mm-hmm. you know no one's sitting there going oh freaking Maester Coleman, you know, like, you know, Maester Cress, like we saw Cresson like attempting to do stuff, but he failed miserably, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, if Lewin is doing something, it's, it was pretty subtle. Like even, even what I mentioned with John was damn subtle. You have to go back and, and, you know, one could argue that I'm just imagining it all, which, you know, it's quite possible. Well, no one's imagining Varys and Littlefinger scheming. <laughs> But yeah, no, Aegon visiting all these places made a lot of sense, you know, uh, parading around. Essentially, it is a military parade with the dragon. Such a show of force uh, to all these peasants who've probably never seen a dragon in their life. Uh, He probably looks like a god to them. But uh, the one thing I've noticed is that Gildan goes on to say that Visenya kind of retreats away after after Rhaenys' death. And I don't want to make this comparison because I, I feel like this is a bit too much of a comparison, but... People will know what I'm talking about. It's almost like Visenya becomes a bit like Kyburn. Yeah, and they do they do claim that she was doing dark arts, or there was rumors. But um, yeah, I mean, I think she starts scheming. I mean, we we eventually. I mean, she does kind of disappear uh, at first, but then like her scheming comes back when 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 um, you know during the reign of Aenys and Maegor. But like you know, um, but yes. But they, it is interesting because she 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 is more powerful and more blunt when Rhaenys is alive. You'd think that once Rhaenys died, that she would become, you know, she she would have all of the power. But she would do what Cersei did when uh, Tywin died and try to seize power for herself. Yeah. Um, by the way, do you have anything more to say on Chapter Three, Reign of the Dragon, before we move on to Aenys and Maegor? Because I I do think we discussed everything. I believe we discussed. Um, uh, Rainies and Visenya, especially Visenya. We talked about Old Town and and how much control they had over over Aegon. There's a few things he he builds walls, and so you kind of have this parallel talk of the Corsair King. Uh, there, there's this attack on Tall Trees, ta- Tall Trees Town, Tall Tree Town, and this is a parallel to the Corsair King attacking Tall Tree Town. And um, the Corsair King is almost certainly Euron, um, just based on location oh you're talking about parallels yeah Mm -hmm. um and so it's interesting that that Aegon's like big fear uh for king's landing is like pirates and 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 it's maybe you know danny's big foe perhaps will be will be the the ironborn as well um i thought it was really interesting that uh that oris baratheon like never really has any power um, like he, he, uh, and he stays his hand of the king for the longest time. Yeah. He stays his hand of the king. And then after he loses his hand, they just kind of say, oh, well, you know, you've got a stump. And but he so resigns guess, because he feels as though yeah. the hand should be able to, you know, yeah. Oh, I forgot what and he then, said exactly. Like he said something along like the hand should actually have a hand or something like that. Right. But of course, like, you know, that's a ridiculous argument. He was trying mm-hmm. to get rid of him. Um, but it's interesting because this is one of his, his supposed childhood friend. He, the guy should have a lot of sway and influence, but we don't really hear about Oris Baratheon or any of the later hands do any, doing anything. It's almost as if uh, Visenya and Rhaenys had all of the, um, the power as, as, that, that the hand would have had, and there was just no room for, for anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and so these hands didn't have any power. But it's... It, it's interesting that the, the hands under Aegon were so weak, because um, later on we hear about these incredibly strong hands uh, uh, ruling the kingdom, you know, especially culminating with Tywin. Um, and then, of course, um, let's see, there's there's all these different maesters that, that, that were serving during the conquest. And it's interesting because they were sending archmaesters at first, and then they created this, um, and supposedly this was um Aegon's idea but and then the the, the position of grand maester was was required mm-hmm. and oh this is kind of 
funny. This is um, the first Archmaester that was sent was one of history. Um, and then the next one that was sent was for economics. Because I think it's kind of neat because history is more important when you're when you're conquering people. But economics is going to be more important when when you're going to be trying to build the kingdom and make it prosperous for peace. Right. Um, so that it was so subtle, but it's so interesting that 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 uh, that that they had that switch over. Like, oh, we're going to start off with an archmaster for history, and then we're going to move into an archmaster for economics. And it's funny because the, the second one they don't even tell us straight out economics. They say you know his 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 uh, mask was gold, but nonetheless, it's uh, that's that's the one. Um, and then he wrote the High Septon often. He visited Old Town once a year, even though he wasn't a religious man. So I mean, he he knew that you he either knew that you needed to control the religion um, in order to you needed to appear to be a religious person, very Machiavellian, um, to be a good leader, or he. Um, you know, I think Old Town had a lot of influence over over um, over Aegon, uh, and that's about it. Oh yeah, the, and then we we end with the creation of the Kingsguard, um, and the only thing that was uh, there's an interesting parallel with the creation of the Kingsguard because he he purposely says that he doesn't want it to be attorney. He wants like loyal knights, not not just the like the best one like the those who are really good at tourney fighting but sweet sweet robins like like kingsguard is going to be the ones that win the win the tourney so they're not necessarily the best knights but they're the best like in tourneys you know um and what's the point visenya makes about like at one point like she slashes his cheek a little before the, like his guards can really do anything oh yeah yeah that was really that was really weird that was sick that was i love that scene. that was sick <laughs> That was uh, yeah. That was that was that was an interesting scene. Um, I guess it happened. <laughs> it was very very interesting because they do say it's kind of kind of kind of a contradiction on why Visenya was so protective of Aegon, her little brother. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then I did think it was kind of interesting that the first Kingsguard, none of the houses are actually very um, big or important. They're, um, you know, it's it's house house root um house good um, yeah i will say dusk, you know. I, I will give props to a lot of uh to fire and blood for doing this that uh, the world of ice and fire didn't do as much which is uh, make a lot of these small houses that no one's ever heard of or even care about that much or maybe even they get like one or two pages in the main series and, and giving them some recognition some 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 place in history yeah yeah, and it might be just that that he's just throwing down names, but some of these some of these houses, I mean, House Root, they 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 are like they eventually get Haraway Town, but at before that, they they're going to be a super small minor house. Um Bastard of Cornfield, that's House Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh not not huge, House Good. Um the biggest house there is Darklin and and Valarian, but Valarian's going to be super uh, loyal so you're, you're talking about small houses and super loyal houses so you know they they didn't want they didn't want a, a powerful people next to the uh the king they wanted loyal people i also really love how she modeled the king's guard kind of after the night's watch that that was actually pretty cool but is that new information it is uh, or at least i mean if if it is I, it might have been in the world of ice and fire i'm not sure mm-hmm. but it was um but it just i mean I just thought it was a coincidence because most of these, most of these uh, orders uh, are are kind of the same. There's usually celibacy. There's usually lack of marriage. Um, I mean, and this goes for our world and their world. I mean, the Citadel also has these same vows. Like, oh, it's a lifetime vow of celibacy, and you know, you can't have any kids, and you're going to be serving the realm. Like, oh, okay, well. There's no. It's not like the the Citadel was modeled after the Night's Watch. It's just it's just a coincidence that they both have these vows. Okay, so Preston, every time, every time before we record, every time, every time I say, all right, this is gonna be, you know, we're gonna talk about for, about this for like 15, 20 minutes. We go on for like an hour. This happens every time, and I blame you. Yeah, no, it's mostly mostly my fault. 
Like, no, that's, they, that, you have people always gap, say, so. people have always said that I have a gift of gab, that I can mm-hmm. have like a conversation with no one about anything. Um, yeah, no, that's just, that's just me. I've got a lot that, of tangents that I can go on. That's a good trait to have, trust me. But no, this is good, because before we started, we're like, okay, chapter three, that's like 11 pages. That's going to be like a 15-minute right. discussion. Yeah. It's 37 minutes. There's yeah, and then we get, we get, and ugh, fucking Sons of the Dragon, which is just so long and so has so much that it's gonna be it's gonna be tough it's gonna right, be tough let's get, to in, let's get into that now because okay. and, and we'll get we'll get the first son out of the way we'll get Aenys out of the way because Aenys like I said before Aenys and Maegor it's almost like they split Aegon the Conqueror in half and gave all like one trait of his right. of being kind and weak or whatever and amplifying it with Aenys and his other trait amplifying it with Maegor so there, there's, there's one big question here, though. Um, so they kind of begin, and they, they, they start talking about the, the sisters and their purple eyes. And some people read into the, the eye color thing, like mm. who has, which, which Targaryens have purple eyes and which ones have lilac eyes and which ones have violet eyes. Um, I've looked at it. I can't figure out if there's, any, uh, there, there's anything to it. But, uh, but yes, they, 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 they claim that, yeah, they all have purple eyes. Um, but Quicksilver the Dragon is born the same year that Aenys is, um, which is which is pretty interesting. In that, again, there was uh, only two dragons hatched over the course of a hundred years mm-hmm. uh, on, on Dragonstone, and now we have a third one, which is uh, hatched the same year as as Aenys. And so I do wonder if like pregnancy or something has to do with if there's there's some sort of connection between pregnancy and dragon hatching. Um, after all, Danny's eggs hatched like during her, or well, right after her miscarriage um, or birth or whatever. So um, I just I just don't know, but it's 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 something to think about and 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 uh, maybe put a pin in um, that that this that this Quicksilver dragon was born in the same year as Aenys. After hardly any dragons have been have been uh, getting born over this period of time. And all of a sudden we're going to have a kind of a, of a, a boom of dragons, but, um, but yes, now we get into, uh, Aenys and Magor. And obviously Visenya, who I, like I said, is, is pretty much like, like Cersei. Visenya is not happy that Aenys, who was kind of weak, even as a kid is being, uh, crowned right after Aegon's death. And yeah. uh, it, Magor and, and uh, Visenya are just, you know, waiting, biding their time. And even Aenys is trying to, you know, settle things between him and his brother by saying, you know, uh, he gives, he gives, um, he gives uh, Magor, what shore was that? That wasn't Dark Sister, that was Blackfire? Well, no, he get well, he eventually gets both, but she, she gives him Dark Sister to begin. Mm-hmm. And this is, so they, there's a whole bunch of parallels to Magor being like Joffrey. So mm. he gets a he gets a Valerian steel blade on his on his thirteenth name day. Joffrey was thirteen when he got Widow's Whale. Um, there's the cat incident where he chops up a, a castle cat, right. just like Joffrey did. Um, at one point, he cuts off half of a guy's face, just like you know the Hound is you know half um, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a little there's a bunch of connections to, and they're trying to make him more like you're supposed to think of Joffrey and and that Magor is. Is out of control like Joffrey was, is the idea, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously with Aenys, you're you're maybe supposed to more think about Sweet Robin, you know, because they they talk about him having like watery eyes and and sickly and things like that, um, you know, but uh, you know, so we have these two very different types of kings. Yeah, it's weird too because, like, has that ever happened before in like uh, in in the story where we have like kings who are this exact opposite of each other uh the only thing i can think of is the two babes at the wall where um mance's son is is uh i'm trying to see that there's the baby swap so i get i start getting confused but Mm -hmm. i think like one of the babies is is greedy and strong and the other baby is like weak um and then they start once the swap happens, they start acting differently. Like, and and it, it's difficult to say, like you know, which which baby is which. You know, mm-hmm. it gets confused. It gets co- confusing for the reader, just as it's confusing for the people in the uh, in the story. But that you had two you had two children that were that were kind of opposites. Um, uh, 
but of course Anis is you know a few years older than than um than Magor unlike the two the two at the wall being milk brothers um one thing that I think is really weird and this 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 is this has to do with Maester Gildane is how Gildane puts in here over and over again like oh and there was no there was no discussion on who the heir would be the heir would be Anis and he keeps mm-hmm. putting that in and you're like well wait a minute like why is Anis the heir like so Valyrians choose their successors at this point they later have they let it later changes <clears throat> but yeah the, the fact that everybody's like oh no Anis is obviously the heir and so <clears throat> and that that's that was never a question but then again Magor is called Prince of Dragonstone and then later on like the minute Anis is crowned way later in the story everyone starts questioning like well you know Magor is stronger he might be the the better king and it's like well you know why does everyone why does he keep contradicting himself saying that oh you know succession was never an issue and then succession was an issue you know they claim that Magor was called Prince of Dragonstone because he lived on Dragonstone but Prince of Dragonstone is the is the title used for heir mm-hmm. like all all over and and getting the swords also like it has been a symbol of the heir um so it's all it's all kind of weird um about about succession um but uh it seems like the the faith is doing whatever they can to keep Magor from being king and they also seem to be doing whatever they can to uh keep people from marrying um Reyna um Aenys's daughter Reyna really you th- you think you think that was the case because and we'll get to that um, you have a theory on her about her being uh, uh, a lesbian. Well, well, no, I think she's a lesbian, but that's a very minor issue. Um, I think Arena is is more special in the sense that she, I think she's the one hatching dragons. I think mm. that she's a, I think she's a big deal. That she is um, like Daenerys level special or Rhaenyra level special. Right. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I do think she's a lesbian only because they keep, he keeps throwing in like, oh, and then she had this really great female friend that and they were inseparable. And then she had another female friend that she uh, was inseparable. And then later on, it's like she she they went on this parade and she was having a horrible time until she was introduced to, you know, somebody's daughter. And you're like, OK, I <laughs> you know, like and it just keeps going on and on. Like there's a whole bunch of references like that. So I was just like, well, it sounds like she's enjoys the company of of women. No, I don't. It's not very important to the story, but it, you know, it's thrown in there by Maester Gildane over and over. So I don't know. It just it just stuck out. Like okay, yeah. But uh, let's like, start with that with Aenys first. Let's get him out of the way. He's you know kind of weak, kind of a I guess you would say indecisive. And his dragon is fairly small compared to uh, Aegon's Balerion. Why didn't Why didn't he get Balerion? It's a good question. Um, I mean, it might be because he bonded with Quickfire. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Quicksilver, and so because Quicksilver was given to him, was born in the same year, and they and and Aenys was doing was sickly and started doing better once Quicksilver was with him. So they they were kind of raised together and were were I think I would guess uh, psych like uh, psychically connected. Mm-hmm. And so I think he bonded with Quicksilver, um, and so he didn't have a chance to bond with uh, with with. Baylor uh, with um Balerion <laughs> Baylor with Balerion yeah um that would be my guess mm-hmm. uh but it does leave obviously the I mean the big deal is the fact that it leaves that dragon open for for Magor to take do you think this was Visenya's plan all along to make sure Magor didn't bond with any dragons when he was young just so when the time came uh she, she could have him bond with Balerion instead because she seems to be very like oh yeah on top of things scheming wise you know i mean i think i think she definitely wanted that i mean it's it's her it's her son like this other person is not her son um but i think there's i think there's some things also going on genetically i think magor is um perhaps very special and that they didn't want magor connected with with reyna who is also very genetically special um creating you know an entire generation of of dragon lords or something you know i think i think the faith was wary of that um and so i think there's something very strong and 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 um resilient to magor and something very special about about reyna and that they did not want that connection happening 
So what you're telling me here is that there's this conspiracy in all of the faith throughout all of Westeros that is essentially trying to make sure this one person, Reyna, does not have as much power as she could have because she's especially gifted. Well, I'm talking about the old town faith. I'm talking about mm. like the 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 ones that are connected with the Citadel and and House Hightower, because they're gonna have they're gonna have dragons. They're gonna have books on dragons that are super old, and they're gonna understand the nature of dragons. They right. may even know the nature of other things, the nature of of you know the others and and the seasons and all the big questions. Um, and so, I'm just trying to make sense of. The faith doing completely irrational things. Like the faith is so irrationally anti-Reyna and anti-Magor that I can't come up with anything else other than there's something genetically going on where they just don't want them having kids. Well, to be fair, uh, uh, I mean, they they love to use the, uh, I guess you'd call it excuse that, you know, incest is the whole like thing that, you know, shouldn't be blah, 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 blah. And they're trying to give um, Magor this one wife that he kind of doesn't want. I mean, at first he, he takes her in, but then she's, I guess, barren, which is, once again, the conversation for another time. Yeah. I, I will say I do like his arrogance here in a sense because, I mean, he's the king and he doesn't want this religious order telling him what to do. He does what he wants. I, I kind of like that about him. Well, I mean, I think that Magor is also t- looking about, I mean, thinking about, you know, having dragons and having his line continue and things like that. I mean, we got to put look at it from like Magor's perspective. You know, what is what does he want? Um, but yeah, I mean, they use the incest excuse, and it's like incest is a problem except when it isn't. And it like they're so utterly inconsistent with mm-hmm. the incest stuff that it's just it's it's laughable. Like Aegon has two sister wives, not a peep, not a peep about him. You know, and then Aenys marries his cousin, no problem. And then Magor's like, I want to marry my niece, and they're like, oh, incest, like. What like how is how is Magor marrying his niece like worse than than Aegon marrying his sisters or or like Jaehaerys marries his sister or Reyna marries Aegon like all these other people are marrying brother to sister and Magor can't marry uncle to to niece like that's just it it makes no sense at all that all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's this rumbling and and the and the way Gildane writes about it he kind of says um Oh, nothing was ever said out loud, but there was always there was always that that tension under the surface. Well, how the hell does a does a historian, hundreds of years after the fact, know that if no one ever spoke out about it? Like you know, like this, this it's completely fabricated stuff. Like there's no mm-hmm. way he would know. Like no one ever spoke out about it. Therefore, it mu- like but it was always simmering underneath. Well, how do you know? What if I was like, oh, you know, Carmine, you know, uh, nothing was ever set but there was always like a, a sexual attraction between john adams and, and thomas jefferson just simmering you know underneath underneath the uh, would you know? the surface and you're like well how, how would i know i mean like neither one said anything none of the histories like say anything so like this is where you really start seeing that gil dane is just full of shit like he says all these things about how oh it was it was you know Never, it was always assumed that 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 Aeneas was going to take over, except when it wasn't. Or incest was 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 going to be a problem, except you know when it's not. You know, it's it's there's mm-hmm. no logic to this, and so either like it's really bad writing and inconsistent writing, or there's some other like secret right. going on. I see, I see where you're coming um, from. Yeah, like, I, I, I I can definitely see like how uh, Mago would have a chip on his shoulder because the faith just seems to be after him for some reason. And this isn't the first time that they're completely against somebody. They're they're completely against Rhaenyra quite illogically and they're quite they're they're incredibly against Daemon Targaryen. Um quite illogically. There's just there's just no reason that they have such an intense hatred for these characters. Um and then and the two and the characters getting together, but uh, you know it is what it is. But I think there's something. I think they know about the genetics. I think they know that something bad will happen if if Magor is a, is allowed to uh, is allowed to have have children. What, what would that Arena. be? What bad thing would that yeah. be? I think the bad thing would every single. I think it would be every single child would be a dragon rider. Well, every single child is kind of a dragon rider now, kinda. 
well, no, only about, you know, only a, a handful here and there. I'm talking like, and a dragon mm. hatcher as well. Like not just a dragon rider, but a dragon hatcher. Um, I, I, and so it seems to me when I look at, when I look at Targaryen history, that dragon riding, uh, so not everybody can ride a dragon, but every so often somebody can ride a dragon, but dragon hatching is much rarer. Um, you know, like I said, like over the course of, of the hundred years on, on Dragonstone, you only had a couple mm. dragons getting hatched. And then you have this, then you have this boom, you have this boom around the time of Rhaenyra, um, and then none. And even in this, it says that, you know, um, the dragons start, didn't start hatching until the second half of Aegon's reign. Um, so something happened. So your theory is, is that, I hate to cut you off, but your theory here is that the Targaryens and the Valyrians in general, they, um, some of them can be dragon riders, and some of them can be both dragon riders and dragon hatchers, but it's, it, but it's very rare. You think that the faith, having all this knowledge, especially with the Citadel being there, knowing about genetics, you think they can easily tell who has the ability to produce more dragons, and the faith sees that as an issue? I, I, I think that, yeah, I think that they're looking at um, lineage and they're looking at what's happening around them and figuring out who's special. Like, if I can read through here and, and say, well, Reyna seems to be the special factor. Like, she seems to be the person that's, that's when she comes along, dragons start mm -hmm. hatching. You know, like, a lot. Yes, one hatched with Anis, you know. And and a couple hatched with you know before for Visenya and 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 Rhaenys to uh to ride, but like you know all of a sudden now we're having we're having dragons hatching right and left, um, and you know what's the what's the what's the new factor? What's the new element? And the new element is Reyna, dream. And I call her Dreamfire Reyna because there's several Reynas throughout history, but this Reyna rode rode Dreamfire the dragon. Um, she put the eggs in Jaehaerys and Alysanne's crib, and they make a special point about that. So it sounds like she was hanging around these eggs um, and allowing these eggs to hatch. You know, and um, so I think it's I think she's the element. But this is just my theory. I mean, you know, you could be you could be wrong about half of this. Um, <laughs> no, of course. but do you think uh, the whole hatching of the dragons have something, maybe some some kind of a connection with fertile women? I mean, because it always seems like the ones who are able to hatch the dragons are usually strong women that have, you know, the ability to produce more heirs. And do you think that maybe the ability to hatch... Uh, by the way, how do... how is it ever really gone into detail, like, how dragons are able to, ha like, lay eggs? I mean, they're, they're, um, they're asexual, right? Or, um, what's the term? Was it asexual? Uh, uh, like whether they're asexual yeah. or hermaphroditic. Um, yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of contradicting information. Like sometimes dragons are called male and female, but then later on, Maester Aemon mm -hmm. says that they don't have sex. Uh, they don't have gender. I mean, you know, so that, that, not that they, you know, they, they, I don't know if they bone <laughs> or not, but yeah, they don't have like male, female. Um, so and, any of them and so, Yeah. It's tough. It's tough to say. It's, uh, we don't know. We know mm. that eggs get laid. Yeah, I, I was noticing sure. while well, the past couple of chapters, like, they, yeah, they are laying eggs, but it doesn't, doesn't really go into detail, like, how that's really done or what what's the process of that. But do you think it's, um, uh, do you think it, the connection here is, like, fertile women or especially people with strong psychic connections to dragons that are able to, like, make them do it? That's my guess. My guess is that these eggs, that something going on in the egg needs some sort of like powerful telepath to activate. And I think it, it, I think something, and I think it has to do with pregnancy. I think, you know, something is going on, um, around that. But, but, uh, just cause I'm just looking at Danny, like the, the, the hatching that we know the most about is Danny's. Um, and so we know, you know, we know she was pregnant and we know that, that, um, something was going on with those eggs and she had a connection to those eggs and she was feeling a connection to those, those eggs for a while. Um, I think that the eggs need to be around pregnant women to activate. 
um, and a special, a special super telepath pregnant woman. That's that's my or maybe uh, that's my guess. Because um, because <laughs> to me it almost seems like because when Amy's Amy's bonded with his dragon, and his dragon eventually grew, it wasn't that big. It wasn't as big as the other ones. So do you think that maybe in order for the dragons to go big and strong, they need a the the writer, the person that bonds with them, needs to be strong themselves physically and mentally in in terms of psychic abilities or psychic bonding. I th- I think. I do. I think this. I personally believe that the psychic abilities affects mm-hmm. the size of the dragon. I think that you know, the more powerful you are, a psychic, the larger the dragon gets. Um, over time, the dragons get you know smaller and sickly, and I think it's because there just aren't that many the telepaths. Blood gets diluted more, or or power. Yeah, or powerful telepaths. I'm not sure if if, if blood dilution is really the um, the way to look at it. I think it might have to do with recessive genes. Um, like blood dilution, we think of we think of it in the sense of like, okay, um, a black person and a white person have have a kid, and you know they're they're kind of halfway between black and white, and say that halfy has a kid with a white person, then then they have you know they're they're a little bit lighter, and so we kind of think of like, you know, the melanin content can be diluted. Um, that's you know not completely accurate because but because you definitely have people that vary in in, in skin lightness uh, uh, and doesn't that don't look like their parents shades but you know a lot of times people like the way the way they talk about the blood of the dragon being diluted and being pure they talk about it in that sense that oh if we start interbreeding with with these other people then then the power of our blood will will be diluted um but I, I think it's I think it's more like recessive genes that um, that if you have like two recessive genes or or perhaps it's a an X chromosome linked gene or something, then at at that point, you know, you just need two of them together because Danny, for instance, is kind of, you know, way down the chain um, after many, many intermarriages or whatever if mm-hmm. danny is actually who she is, thinks she is and is actually the mad king's daughter um but you know she she's super diluted but theoretically but she she's a powerful telepath so i think it has more to do with like her finally getting like the right combination of of recessive genes or x chromosome like genes or something you know it's funny like the, the whole conversation of genetics and and, and psychic ability was never ever really brought up into the series before you came along if it was i hadn't heard anything about it but then again i'm not a big theory guy so maybe i wouldn't know but um i because it, it the moment you start talking about genetics and the whole psychic thing it really does make sense especially with dragons i mean you know controlling them and and just bonding with them on a higher level it's just but uh let's get into anies uh preston go into this please anies marries his cousin they say he's an unquestioned heir, though I still think there's some anti-Magor bias. Now this is this is this is super interesting. Aegon's death. Aegon dies, and the Grand Maester is the one that proclaims Aenys uh, king. Like that's super interesting. Because what was the rush? If everybody thought Aenys was, if everybody thought Aenys was king, why did the Grand Maester make the claim? Like, why, why didn't they immediately go to the High Septon? Instead, they do this, like, long procession to get to the High Septon for a second crowning. But, like, why, why did, was the Grand Maester in such rush? And, and since when does the Grand Maester have that authority? You think the Grand Maester <laughs> consulted with the Faith first to uh, make sure, you know, Magor is pushed out of the way as soon as possible? Right. I mean, I think. I mean, I think the Grand Maester and and the, I mean, I think the the, the Citadel and the, and the Faith are in, are in lockstep. But but how can the, like that's just really weird that the Grand Maester is going to proclaim somebody king? Like that's that's completely out of out of out of the blue. Like that the High Septon should be declaring the king, or a king could declare himself. You know, um, but why would the Grand Maester be doing that? I think they were they were. They were rushing into declaring a king before before Magor got back, because then if if no one was declared king and Magor got back, then maybe people would start talking about succession, and so Magor immediately. I mean, the the Grand Maester just steps in and is like, "Up, oh, Aenys is king." But I definitely think there was a um, 
a dispute here, but that was uh, I, I thought that was pretty pretty nuts. Um, but after that, it uh, we then get into the rebellions: Heron the Red, Jonos Aaron, and Lotos Lotos the Second. Um, yeah, Heron the Red is interesting because it seems to be about Lord of the Lord's Right to the First Night. Like they're really angry about this um, uh, this Koharis guy going around practicing Lord's Right to the First Night, and Heron the Red like ends up killing him. Um, and so, you know, my theory is that Lord's Right to the First Night is an essential part of the agreement that mankind has with the others. And that, you know, if, if Heron the Red is, is like trying to break that, then he's just as much, you know, then he's a threat to the agreement between mankind and the others and like stability and things like that. Maybe, maybe that was Heron the Black's issue too. Maybe like they really didn't like Heron the Black because... He was against Lord's Right to the First Night. We never know. But regardless, these rebellions were Aini's first real test, and he kind of fails them. So much so that instead of coming in and showing them who's boss with his dragon, he has to have those around him come in and take up the task. Even when he's at Riverrun, the Lord Tully asks him to uh, step in, but he, he refuses, and that makes him look really bad. He could have ended all so quickly, but is just so unwilling to do so. And unlike his father and brother, who would have answered the call in a heartbeat, he's just... I want to say he's slow, but he's just too indecisive. Right. I mean, it's, it's, um, they're all, they're all, they all come back to put contrast between Aegon and Aenys, right? Like everybody comes back again, right? Hair in the Black is reborn as Hair in the Red. Lotos is reborn as Lotos. Um, the Aaron Rebellion is reborn as Jonos Aaron or, or the Aaron Problems. And then, you know, the Vulture King is, is Dorne again, right? Like all the problem rebellions come back for a second for a second round, and we get to see how a weak king fails with them, where like a strong king like Aegon, like was able mm -hmm. to was able to deal with them. And this is also where we see yeah. uh, Magor come into action, and I, I believe he's the one that puts down the whole Aaron rebellion, but not before Ronald Aaron gets thrown out the moon door. Um, of course, that parallel. Right, um, right. And then we get another parallel. You know, it rhymes. That uh, Oris Baratheon takes, um, I believe it, it's the hands and feet of the Vulture King and hangs it up like uh, like onions. And that's when his son Davos Baratheon comments on it. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, the, the, the rumor was is that Davos' hands were, were cut off and put, a, put above the um, uh, White Harbor and turned into mm -hmm. looking like onions, right. <laughs> and then we have Savage yeah. Sam Tarling. <clears throat> <clears throat> Right, Savage Sam Tarly. So, I mean, it, it's funny because when things either don't rhyme, they, they they either don't rhyme or they, they go for the exact opposite, right? So you have, like, a character the exact opposite of Sam Tarly, like, coming in and being being a badass and, and, and completely taking down the Vulture King with Heartsbane. Like, everything everything that, that real right. Sam Tarly could never do. But it is, it is still, though... Um, it does make me wonder about the future of our our Sam Tarly. Um, you know, are are they going to have him have some sort of mission with the Dornish? Um, you know, where is he going next? And do you do you think that because of this parallel and because he might have some kind of uh, <clears throat> excuse me some kind of mission with the Dornish? Do you think he might have something to do with Sorella Sand? Maybe Sorella brings him back to uh, Sunspear because he learned something. Yeah, right. You know, and and that's what I'm thinking. I mean, he the one person he knows in Old Town right now is Sorella Sand, a Dornish person, and this this is about a a uh, you know Sam Tarly going into the mountains of Dorne and like you know taking taking out all of these Dornish uh, be, and being a badass. And so I do wonder if something similar something similar is going to happen with with Sam. Is he going to travel somewhere? and have some involvement with the Dornish storyline. Um, I don't know. I mean, certainly in the show he didn't, <laughs> but, but um, it, you know, it's, we, we can only speculate, but we have no idea where the Sam story is going, but um, uh, you know, but who knows? And maybe. in the Ironborn and the Iron Islands, uh, the Greyjoys take out Lotos twice drowned. And when Aenys is so grateful for that, he says to, uh, I believe it was Gorin, Gorin Greyjoy. He goes, 
pick anything you want, anything, and I will make it happen. He goes, well, you know, can you remove this religion off my island? Can you take these people away? And, and, and... Yeah. <laughs> I like how Gildane goes, this proved to be unwise. Right, I mean, it's funny, because the, uh, this, this, again, is the parallel to, uh, right after the, the, um, Balon's Greyjoy Rebellion, um, in the middle of Robert's reign, at that point, they rejected the faith of the seven again. Um, so, and, and so it's like, we're, we're supposed to connect back to that because, um, out of that, out of him kicking out the faith of the seven, like the, the ironborn became a little more religious, you know, extremists in their religion, um, after that under Balon's rule. Um, and so this is, you know, this, this is this again, you know, but I, at some point the, the faith is going to come back to the, the, uh, the, the islands. Sorry for the break on this episode, but Carmine and I spoke for a really long time, and so we decided to break the episode into two. Look for part two coming soon. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.